It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Going to do a solo episode here about rut hunting here in Southeast Alaska and kind of recap my last hunt from Saturday. So it's kind of a culmination of all the things I've been really thinking about in, in the 10 years that I've been hunting blacktail, which really isn't a whole lot. It's kind of, you get started. Um, after a few years and then you kind of get to that middle ground where you start to figure things out, you think, but you're not totally sure if it's, you are having success because it's what you do the most often or because you've figured out something. And other times you think, or I think, or analyze and think that I'm just giving either the deer too much credit or I'm out thinking or overthinking things. Um, that happens a lot. That's, uh, kind of how things go and you have to kind of figure out uh, what your program is and what you need to change about it. So because we sold a boat to help with the house, I've uh, been hunting a lot more local spots and the road system is not extensive in the Ketchikan area. So I go to high traffic areas. I mean, I go to high traffic areas and I'm thinking about especially as, as rut really starts to kick off, like that last weekend of, of uh, October, the 31st is always kind of the day that I circle. Part of it, it's it might be a little bit early, but rut is starting to kick in and, and things are moving. And I really think that I like that so much just because it's, or I feel a lot of pressure on that first one. If you get one in that first week, then some of that pressure is off because sometimes these weeks just go f- so fast and all of a sudden, you know, if there's three good weeks of rut, but four that you can hunt, if you don't get one on the first weekend, then the next weekend, you know, things can start get pretty tough and then there's more traffic and then you start thinking that everybody else has killed them during the week when you were at work and then maybe the weather doesn't cooperate. So all of a sudden it's the second weekend of rut and you were unsuccessful the first weekend and, and now it's blowing 45 and it's raining sideways and uh, it's so difficult to, to manage that, but you can't control the weather. So got to try to control the attitude. Uh, so high traffic area, had some cameras up, saw some bucks moving during the day. And there were a couple of times where they would rebed uh, midday. So we'd wake up early and we'd hike up a mountain. And then twice I saw bucks on the game cams after I had passed them. So we're going a couple miles past it. So it wasn't like they were, you know, 15, 20 feet behind us. Uh, but that's frustrating because you don't know, uh, should you have stayed and sat or 
had you stayed and sat, maybe that would have prevented the deer from coming by. Maybe it was only after they pa- uh, you passed that the deer came back. And so um, when you're hunting high-pressure areas, you just it's, it's hard to not second-guess yourself. It's hard not to think that if you would have done this, then this would have happened. Or you went to hunt one spot and nothing happened, so you think, well, it's a bad spot. Well, it might not have been a bad spot. It may just have been a, you know, you weren't lucky. Or maybe it was that spot was the spot or would have been the spot had you hunted there the next weekend. So, uh, I hunted one spot five or six days at least and was seeing no bucks in person, a couple on the game cameras, but there was a lot of sign and there were rubs and you just had to knew that bucks were there, but there was, you know, at least a, a an assumed degree of, of pressure and so I just assumed that they were getting a lot of pressure and I was hesitant to call because I just figured that, you know, they'd be call shy at this point. If you get called in a couple of times and it's a, it's a person, you know, you start to maybe think, okay, that's, that's not, that's not what, what I thought it was. My instinct to go to this noise because I'm curious or because, uh, um, a fawn's in trouble or a doe's in trouble or whatever, or there might be a doe there if you're a buck. You, you, it's not that you change that instinct, but, uh, maybe deer can be educated. So I was a little bit call shy and, um, I started doing loops the last three times, the last four times I hunted this spot, I went out of my way an extra mile and a half so that I could approach this area to make sure I got the wind right. So I beat brush through some timber that had a lot of, there was blow down, there was brush underneath. It was just a horrible hike. To get to, if we call it a square, we'll call it the um, uh, northwest quadrant of this area. Uh, Went out of my way to get to that spot so that I could hunt southwest and um, hit these muskegs that I knew were being hit from the southeast. And um, went out of my way to do that. And I kept going, kept going, even though I wasn't seeing bucks. And I ended up going one day with my bow just because, and I stink and go out of my way again, go through all that brush, take the extra couple hours. And so I'm not even really hunting until 10 o'clock. I'm out there and I'm hiking, but it's so slow to be able to make it through this area. And I'm trying to go as slow as possible, but I also want to get to this spot as quick as possible because that's the better spot. That timber is so hard to, too hard to hunt unless you're on an edge. So I go uh, through all that trouble to get to this spot, sit down, blow the call, stink and buck comes right in ignoring the wind comes right in right at the same spot where i entered the muskeg and i'm right on the edge here and so i look to my right and there's a a, i used a little bit of a a tree to kind of protect my outline but then the tree ended up being right in my shot so the thing kind of came out looked my way the wind swirled probably got another whiff of me and i just kind of kept on i blew the call to try to stop it it didn't stop it just took off so I'm thinking that was my shot. That was my shot at a buck. I did the right thing. Finally, by going through all the trouble to get to this other side to hit the wind right, to approach it from the opposite side of where most people might uh, do it, I get my chance with a small buck and it doesn't happen. So I think, well, that's it. I might as well play it out. So I work my way, wind in my face, down this uh, network of muskegs, trying to be as slow as possible, as quiet as possible. I sit on the edge of a muskeg around noon. It's uh, about the last little spot that I'm going to hunt until I uh, just kind of start uh, heading home. 
it starts to get dark around two forty-five, three o'clock, and by you know by four o'clock it's totally dark. So I I don't really want to. The last little bit of the of the climb is super super steep, so I'd rather not do that in the in the dark. So uh, I sit down on the edge of a muskeg, call, and a stinking buck comes up over the crest, just like I had kind of hoped. Um, calling softly, only call to about you know thirty to forty yard areas. I'm not trying to wail on the thing and bring something in from a quarter mile. I'm just looking at these small little pocket musk eggs. Um, or if it's a larger musk egg, trying to call to something within this vicinity to see if something's going to stand up, move its head, uh, or even come in. Just getting some sort of movement. Um, so more of a soft, natural type call. Um, and the thing came up one of this little lip. It was at 60 yards, but it was a hind piece of brush, and I couldn't. I was just totally pinned down. Um, I was squatting, and the thing didn't come in. I, I tried to draw it a little closer, but you always see these videos of people that, or that they post about, oh, the, the buck came on a string, you know, came in at 25 yards. You see these pictures of the thing almost running the person over. And that's kind of in your brain what you hope happens when something comes to the call. And you don't think about how many times that it hangs up in the trees or brush and you, and you never get a chance to see it. Or it comes to about 50 or 60 yards and just kind of stands there and looks at you, which is fine. It's a dead deer if you have a rifle. But this was the one stinking day that I decided to bring my bow. And, of course, now a second buck, and this is a nicer buck, uh, just comes in about 60, 65 yards. Never comes clear and just uh, takes off. I tried to call and I got it to stop once by just wailing on it. It was curious, but it was a a hard quartering shot at about 75 and I wasn't going to take that. So it took off. Um, so I get home and I think that that was it. You know, you, you, you're in a a pretty high traffic area that you know of it's close to town. Um, best case scenario is you get a chance at a buck and I had two and didn't even get to draw my bow. And, uh, so I thought I'd kind of wasted it. And then this last weekend went out and pretty much the light, well, it was the last two days of the season, uh, weekend wise, but actually I hunted a couple days, uh, of Thanksgiving break. We had Wednesday through Sunday off. So after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. 
hunted Wednesday. Um, did some work on, um, or went out on uh, Thanksgiving morning, and then uh, did some work at the house. Um, so anyway, Saturday went out again, ran the same a uh, similar program, and I was just trying to get to this back pocket. And I had heard Friday, I had heard someone uh, just wailing on a call, uh, super, super loud. And I was a little bit scared because I was out there and the thing was, whoever it was, was, was calling to the spot that I was headed. So I had to listen to the call, see where they were or hear where they were, guess where they were, and then take a different route. And I had to kind of wait just to double check and just to make sure that they weren't moving or that I wasn't actually getting closer and that I heard them wrong. So I crossed this Creek out of the other side and then took off. So again, that just made me think more pressure, more pressure, more pressure. So I got to be really smart about this. And, um, I didn't hear any gunshots. And so I figured, well, whatever this person was trying wasn't working. Um, and it was at the same spot. There was a, between the first call and the second call, it was about a half hour. So as I was working toward it, I didn't realize how close I was for that second call. And then I averted and went around to the other side of that creek. So if nothing was coming to the call, as I was hiking home, I heard that, that there was no gunshots. So if nothing's coming to the calls, um, it's probably just going to be slow, quiet, diligent. So I brought the call, but didn't really intend on using it. Uh, went out of my way again, played the wind as best I could. Kind of swirled a little bit, but it was, it was pretty cold but, uh, clear. And, um, I get to the, to the last muskeg in the series. Um, wind is perfect. And it's where I saw that buck the previous week, the little buck that just never really stopped. It was close enough to shoot, but I couldn't even draw. Um, and there's a, just a small pocket muskeg off the main one. And my reasoning here was, well, Everybody who's hunting this area, and I don't know exactly how many people are hunting this area, but I know people are hunting this area. I've seen the boot prints. They're going from this muskeg to this muskeg through the easiest transition. You can see where the flagging is. You can see where the boot prints are. You can see the game trail that people are following. It's just the easiest path through this stuff. And I think, you know what? If I'm a deer, I'm not out in the muskegs here. That's in addition to people calling and having deer come in on a, on a rope the, the second thing that you think about with, uh, with muskeg hunting is walking slowly through the muskegs and you're seeing one broadside in the muskeg or you turn behind you and see one. And that's how I got the one two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, um, just walking slow and steady, not using the call and, um, one ended up being behind me. Um, so it, it was either that it was walking and I was walking and, and it had maybe had stopped, waited for me to pass and was trying to, trying to walk through or, you know, however it happened. Um, it was behind me to the left, not directly behind me, but, you know, back in the general direction. It had emerged some, from some from uh, transition. So I wanted to hunt a small little pocket muskeg that was just off the main drag. So if there was a lot of rubs and there was sign and there were tracks figured they'd probably were going nocturnal. My game cameras had some pictures of bucks at 2 a.m. So they were around. I thought, this is the time of season that you're not going to call them in. You might, but for my plan was not going to call them in. So you got to be quiet. You got to move slow. Use the binos and just glass the edges, glass the timber, glass all those spots. You're not looking for broadside deer standing in the muskeg. You're looking for deer in bed. 
you're looking for a deer that is tucked away somewhere. You're looking for an antler. Um, and so that was tough. And I was, I was thinking about, uh, when I was hunting Wyoming and you're out in the prairie and there's, there's some texture, but you think how in the world are there any mule deer here? There's just, there's, there's nothing for them to hide behind. But then you start looking in the shade of rocks during the summer and you think, oh dude, that's where I would be. And then you see one and then you see another one and then you see another one. And then it just stands out so much more. Um, deer hunting up here is not like that because you can't glass the same way. So even though that was summer, uh, you can even during this season, you can, you can glass and you can see, and you can let the glass do the walking for you because there's nothing to prevent you from seeing long distances. So you bring the binos, but you're only glassing 30 to 40 yards or maybe 50 or 60 yards, but you're glassing into this really thick edge brush that's between the muskeg and the timber. So I was way back at the, at the end of where people start to walk, like I said, and I decided to go to a little pocket muskeg off that, that I hadn't hunted before, hadn't really looked at, but I thought, you know, might as well just check it out. And I stink and go down there. And what do you know, a buck stands up and it's got a, the nice tall orange antlers. And so I kneel down, um, and it stands broadside, take a shot and it disappears. And I think, got him. I go to the top there. Um, or the little, there's like a, it was a gentle slope through some transition and there was a little knob before it dropped off pretty steeply, uh, again into some timber and it was right on top of that knob. And when he was bedded, all I could see was his head and antlers. But when he stood up, um, there was Sal Al that was about to his gut and that was about it. So I had a, had a clear shot and he happened to be standing broadside and was just hesitant enough. I was able to get the shot in and, and he kind of bounced and, and rolled off that. So I was able to get him. But, um, I thought about, about a half hour before that I was pretty close to being within range. And I figured I might as well call just in case that little buck was, was looking to get on a doe. Um, and so I'd called a couple times, um, waited a little bit and have some little forky antlers and I rattled a little bit. And then just had lunch and just hung out there for a little bit. And then I saw that buck. So I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I would, I would bet that that buck heard the rattle, heard the call, but it was just that time of year when it was over. They'd gone nocturnal. They'd been called to so many times and it just stayed bedded. Maybe it didn't hear me, but I think I was close enough and I was in the same sort of sound area that I don't think the sound would have got lost. There was no, there was no Creek. There was nothing else. There was no wind in the trees to really get things off there. So, um, what I believe in all likelihood and what the lesson I will take from this is yes, toward the end of the season in high pressure areas, things can get call shy. And even if they're not, even if you are hunting during regular rut, just really looking for those transition areas. And be prepared or expect them to, to see them in beds because I don't know how many times you walk past deer. You just know you have to. I had twice. Uh, I walked through snow and then as I came back and looped after my mile or, or two mile loop, I had uh, deer tracks in my tracks. Um, 
so they're around, you know, they might not always come in and, you know, maybe it is as simple as just slowing down a little bit more, taking your 10 steps, then waiting for three or four seconds, glassing around at these areas and just making sure that there's not something in a bed under a tree covered in sal al that's just walk, watching you walk by. Um, it's nice to get focused on looking at the easy stuff that's broadside in the rut and, rut and, you, and you see the videos of that and you see the videos of them coming to the calls just on a string, on a line. But, you know, you just think about how many bucks that, that you pass because just going too fast, just not glassing and being diligent. And it sounds weird to glass, you know, bring your binos when you're doing a, a rut hunt in thick timber where you can only see 20, 30, 40, maybe 60 yards. But that's the difference. You know, you look over there and you're not really sure what that is. You put the binos up and sure as heck, that is definitely a branch. That is the nicest forky four-point branch you have ever seen in your life but now you know for absolutely sure what it is and what it isn't and if you point the glass over there and uh, you see a bedded buck and it stands up it's on so um, that's what I took from this and that's one of the things that I've kind of learned throughout the years one of the most important skills during rut it's you know being able to do something if they don't come to the call uh, being at the mercy of the call is something that I've always felt kind of uncomfortable with. If, if I sit down on this muskeg and they don't come to the call, I, I have no chance. I just don't like that feeling. So, um, it helps me not be discouraged as well. I, I do get discouraged, but it, I don't, it doesn't make me want to quit early. Um, if you sit on the side of a muskeg and you call and they don't come in and that's your whole program, I, I, I think that'd be a little bit discouraging. So having a, success a few times of just looking for those edges, knowing that the deer are there for sure, trusting in that, but just trusting that it's more a matter of finding them in the bed and focusing on that is something that was great. And it was a nice buck. So, uh, super excited with how, I, how it worked out. Um, but I mean, it could have gone the other way. Who knows if I don't check that little pocket musk egg, if the lesson that I'm saying is, you know, always bring your rifle, never bring your bow because you, the, the days, of course, like the lesson you learn is that, uh, deer are the dumbest when you don't have a rifle, you know, if that's what, if that's what the takeaway ends up being. Um, but, uh, it is fun hunting with a bow. And that day that I didn't get to draw on those two bows, I came home as happy as any of the other days, just because or happier, I, would, I should say, um, on the days that I came back with nothing, just because it's a different experience. You have to be slower and you have to be more dil diligent. And then it becomes not game over. If it exposes itself, it's well, now it's game on. Is, is he going to stop for long enough? Do I have an open shot? Um, and you're checking the wind relentlessly too with a rifle. Sometimes you can just kind of walk and not pay too much attention to it because you have a rifle, but you know, with a bow, everything is so much more important. And then, you know, when they're, they're staring and you're staring and, oh gosh, is it going to come sooner? Is it going to come closer? You know, what's going to happen here? And, uh, it's just a, such an enrapturing experience. And so even though I didn't, I didn't, uh, get to draw on either one of those bucks, it was still pretty, pretty cool experience. And you learn from that. It, obviously you get sick of learning lessons. You want things to work out right. Uh, now that the season's over, you know, I have to put the bow away until spring bear season, but, um, yeah, great season. I'm really fortunate I was able to, to end up with that nice buck on Saturday. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, I uh, really appreciate it if you'd go and um, like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. And then also go to Amazon 
and you can check out my book, The Mediocre, or sorry, my book is A Miserable Paradise Life in Southeast Alaska. If you've already bought that, a thank you. And uh, if you could leave a review or uh, give it a a rating, that'd be much appreciated. Same thing with uh, the rating of um, this podcast, Mediocre Alaskan Podcast. Appreciate that. And uh, I'll talk to you next time.